Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis, and I'm the pastor here, and I know a lot of you are connecting at our campus that's in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a lot of you are connecting at our campus that is online, and however you are engaging with us today, I'm really glad that you are, and this is the first Sunday of a brand new series, Love is in the Air, and today's message is called The One Thing You Must Know, The One Thing You Must Know, and if you have have your Bible with you, this is, this is a little bit of an unusual message because it's, it, it's a whole message coming from one verse. But if you have your Bible with you, I promise you the verse is in there. And locate the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, chapter 12 and verse 11. And maybe your Bible's loaded on your phone and you're free to scroll to it and locate it there. And if you don't have a Bible that looks like this and it's not on your phone, or, or if you ever loaded it on a long time ago, you forgot how to get to that app, it's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen at just the right time. And uh, we, we value that. We, we think it's really vital that, that you either have a Bible with you or you're able to see the words up on the screen because of a couple of things that we believe about the Bible at Good Shepherd. And just so you know, we, we don't worship the Bible here, but we love it. And we love it because it helps us worship the one who inspired it. We, we, we love the scriptures because we believe it helps us adore the Savior. And one of the things we understand about the scriptures is that uh, it's not a book, it's a library, a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over this incredible length of time and in multiple writing styles. That's really the important thing to know. And when we're in the book of Hebrews, we're in the section of the library that's devoted to correspondence. It is a letter. The interesting thing is we don't know who wrote it. It's an anonymous author, but we know that he wrote it to a group of Christians in the first century of Jewish heritage who were being persecuted and beleaguered for their faith in Jesus. So we know that much, even if we don't know the exact identity of the author. And that's just a fact that a lot of people don't know about the Bible and its sort of composition and arrangement. The other thing that we believe about the scripture at this church, it moves to that realm of treasured belief, deeply held conviction. And so when I say what I'm going to say, you, you may be like, ah, finally, thank you, a church that believes it and says it. Or you may be like, I'm not exactly sure I'm with you yet. Guess what? Either way is okay. We just like to have clarity about who we are and where we stand. And it's this, that in leadership here, we believe there's no other library like this. God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. We really do believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, we have kind of a, a strange things that we do when we talk about the Bible. And some of you have already beaten me to it. We lift it up when we talk about the Bible at church. And if you've never been here, you've never tuned in and there's phones and books and stuff in the air. And you're like, that's just kind of strange. The good thing is we don't get defensive about it. We admit it. It's, this is odd. This isn't something you see every day. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. There were a collection of people glad to be surrendered to the authority of the, of the word and ready for this power to be unleashed in our lives. Amen? Amen. And before I say anything else, let's pray. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who breathed life into this author of the book of Hebrews. And we don't even know his name. We just know that the result is so compelling and so true. 
And I thank you that that same Holy Spirit didn't sit back and rest on his laurels when he was done inspiring Hebrews or the other books in the Bible. Thank you that he's still moving and active and I ask for a fresh pouring out of him and his power now from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head for everything that's good and everything that's right and everything that's joyful today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are, uh, we're in the first Sunday of this series, Love is in the Air, and it is all about love and romance and spring fever and marriage. It's about all that stuff. And I have something that I'm going to be telling you after a few moments that, that I can't wait to tell you. And when I, when I place it before you, I, I want you to be able to think about it and ponder it and savor it and have it make an impact in your life. But, but before we get there, there's, there's something that I got to tell you here. But before I tell you the thing that I'm going to tell you then, there's, there's something that I've got to tell you now, sort of to pave the way, to till the soil, whatever the meta. Are we, we tracking? So, so the thing that I have to tell you now is something that I heard on the radio once. And it was actually, I heard it, if you've ever heard of Colin Cowherd, he's, he's a sports guy on the radio. He's really good, really funny. And he said this thing on the radio and I, was, I wrote it down. I was like, that's going to preach one day. Well, today's your lucky day. Today's the day that it's preaching. And what Colin Cowherd Dunn said that I raced and wrote down is this. Desperation, we're going to throw it up on the screen. Desperation makes you overlook important stuff. That when you're in a state of being desperate, you lose all sense of of caution. Desperation makes you overlook important stuff. Desperation blinds you to caution. And this is true in so many areas of life. Like, like think about the person who's stranded in a rowboat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And because they're in a rowboat, and because there's, I, I know it's extreme, just stay with me. It, because they're in a rowboat, because they're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and the sun is beating down, they are literally uh, dying of thirst. It's, it's killing them. Their thirst is killing them. And they're surrounded by all that water, and the thirstier they get, the more desperate they become. And so they decide to slurp on some Pacific Ocean light not knowing that drinking salt water will kill you faster than dying of thirst ever could. Desperation blinds you to really essential information. Or let's, let, let's, is it okay if we tamp down the crisis just a little bit? Because I don't think I'm talking to anybody who's going to find themselves stranded in a rowboat in the middle of the Pacific next week. Maybe next month, but not next week. Let's say you're in the airport. This is more common. You're in the airport and your flight's delayed by an hour or 10. And all of a sudden you get super hungry and you're super bored. And because you're super hungry, that $40 hamburger looks so good. 
and because you're super bored, you know that $20 magazine must be full of fascinating information. And because you're so desperately hungry and because you're so desperately bored, you go buy that $40 hamburger and it still tastes like a $2 hamburger and you buy that $20 magazine and it's still more filled with ads and information. Your desperation blinded you to the fact that that stuff in the airport, because they have a captive audience, you're essentially, you get, you get through the TSA line, you are imprisoned. Because who wants to go through that again? And your desperation has blinded you to the stuff, that, the fact that that stuff costs three times more on the inside than it does on the outside. Desperation blinds you to, it, to the, your need for caution. Desperation makes you overlook really important stuff. And nowhere is that more true than in this realm of love and romance and spring fever and marriage. That desperation makes you overlook really important stuff in the realm of relationships. And some of you have just had the lights go on inside all over the place. Some of you who are married and some of you who are single and some of you who are single again and some of you who are even very content being a lifetime bachelor or bachelorette, you have just had so many things explained to you. So many things now make sense. Even your, your own status is single again. Oh, that's why. Your own status is in an unhappy marriage. Oh, this is why. Your own status as being a happy person in a marriage, but you know your mate's not. Oh, that's why. Yeah, you know that desperation, because we, we all have, virtually all of us have a very natural, completely understandable desire to have connection, to have love, to share life with someone, even for the status of being a married person, we, so many of us, the vast majority of us, have that kind of deep need, understandable desire, and yet desperation can get in the way and it makes us overlook stuff that we should have been paying attention to. Like desperation made some of you overlook the fact that he drank a lot and he has the DUIs to prove it. And desperation made others of you overlook how it was that she treated, just how badly she treated her brothers which is a pretty good indication of how she's gonna treat you. Or desperation made others of you overlook the fact that, man, that guy is the common denominator in all these lost jobs. You've never met one person who had so many foolish bosses and devious colleagues, but this guy seemed to have every one of them. Or desperation made you overlook the, the ways that she didn't just go through a lot of breakups in her time, but these were breakups from, you know, they were traumatic. And then desperation made others of you overlook the, the fact that this person you're attracted to, they're okay with Jesus, or they're thinking about Jesus 
But for you, Jesus is not just part of your life. Jesus is your life. And then I know that for a handful of you, desperation made you overlook the now obvious fact that the one who would cheat with you has already shown their capacity to cheat on you. And yeah, so many things now make sense. You're now able to understand what's been going on in your relationships your whole life. Some of you are, who, are, who are single again, you look in the rear view mirror, that's why, that's how, how I have landed here. Some of you who are a little bit older, maybe your children are married age, the age of being married, maybe, maybe they are married, and now you understand their own troubled marriage. Ah, that's how they got in that place, and that's how they are in that location. And then a lot of you, you've understood, this is why the marriage that I am in right now, things should be good, things should be healthy, but they're just not. And you can't get away, you can't get away from this feeling that because at some season in your life, you did allow desperation to blind you to caution, that you have to feel like you're being disciplined now. That God, God knows the way you let dis, uh, desperation make you overlook the need for caution, made you overlook really important stuff. And you can't help but feel like God is pouring out some kind of discipline on you, even right now, that, that in a sense, God is disciplining you for being so undisciplined. I mean, it's one thing to be undisciplined when it comes to money or when it comes to fitness or when it comes to health, but it's an entirely different matter to be undisciplined when it comes to love and romance and spring fever and marriage. And you just feel like you have that target on your back and God is pressing in on you somehow or life is pressing in on you somehow or karma, if you believe in that. Y'all know karma is a prison Grace is amazing. Can I hear an amen? amen? However you phrase it, however you think about it, it all paves the way for this nugget, for this gem that is tucked away in the, the letter to the Hebrews. I, I mentioned earlier, we, we don't know the exact author of the letter to the Hebrews. We, we just know that his audience was filled with people who were being persecuted for their faith. They were, they were of Jewish origin and yet they'd claimed Jesus. And so they were being persecuted for their faith. And look at what the author says to them in chapter 12 and verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by this. I, I love that. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Yeah, tell us we don't, something we don't know, Mr. Anonymous Hebrews author. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful, but later on, however, and I just love this in so many ways, because he is speaking, he's speaking of discipline on a couple of different levels. He's speaking on the, on the kind of discipline that God, we believe, you may, you may not believe this yet, I just want you to know what the Bible teaches, what we believe, that there are those times when God loves you too much to let you keep getting away with it. There are those times when God has to be so on your side that he halts your plans. 
that God will press into you and God will bring about discomfort and discipline in your life. And it's always, always for your good. So he's speaking of that discipline that God will bring into your life. And he is speaking of the ways that God's own discipline empowers you and me and all of us to be disciplined in the ways that we live our lives. So you see the the ways that it's working on, on both ends. God pours it. God enables it. It's really God's discipline. And, and we always think that God's discipline is punishment and God's discipline is painful. And, and, and the author of Hebrews is not like, no, 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 people. God's discipline is a gift. It's so good for you. And when you think about it in terms of love and romance and spring fever and marriage, God's discipline is what allows you to get to those places where you realize that you need to spend a lot less time looking for the right person and a lot more time becoming the right person. Or it's the kind of grace and the kind of goodness in your life that that helps you realize you need to prepare yourself before you promise yourself. Or it's the kind of discipline that enables you to understand, Good Shepherd, that it is a whole lot better to spend more time preventing crises than managing them. I don't know if you know that or not. But man, there are people who go pinballing, from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. They manage so many crises in their lives, they come to love it. And God has this design for our lives. He says like, no, 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 no. Instead of managing all those crises, you live according to my word, my way, you will prevent them before they ever start. Really, ultimately, I I think what this discipline does, it helps you and me and all of us to realize that we, and some of you know this in retrospect and some of you are planning right now, but you need to spend a lot less time planning for that pretty wedding and a lot more time preparing for that beautiful marriage. Because a pretty wedding lasts a day. And the beautiful marriage lasts a lifetime and it all builds up to this. Here's the thing that I want you to know. Of all the powers in the world that can confront you and your desperation, your desperation for love, your desperation for romance, your desperation for spring fever even, it's this, God's discipline overcomes your desperation. That's, that's the one power, because our, our sense of desperation is strong, it is chronic, it is everlasting, and God's discipline, which is such a good gift for you and for me, God's discipline, the way that he disciplines you, the ways that he empowers you to live a life of some discipline, God's discipline overcomes, overwhelms, overpowers your desperation. See, friends, especially those of you who are single and, and single again, you really do have a, a, a choice. You, you, you can either think that, oh man, this discipline is so painful. Or you can realize that the pain of discipline is temporary, but the pain of regret is permanent. Yeah, God's, just some of you, you know this from experience. All to, you wish you'd heard this 20 years ago. That discipline may be painful, but regret is permanent. See, really what I'm, what I'm talking about is, is, is like that uh, 
famous experiment that they did a generation or two ago with uh, some six-year-old children and a marshmallow. So what they did in the experiment is they put the six-year-old child in a room with a marshmallow. So you got the picture, there's one room, there's one kid, and there's one white confectionery goodness right there, just staring him right in the face. And, and the way that the experiment worked was that the people in charge of the experiment said to the six-year-old, now honey, I'm gonna leave for a few minutes, and you can have your marshmallow now when I leave, or if, when you, if you wait, I'll be back in about 15 minutes or so, and when, if you haven't eaten that marshmallow when I come back in 15 minutes, you can have two marshmallows. So all of a sudden, that, that child is faced, hello, with marshmallow desperation and all kinds of temptation. And it's so interesting, so interesting how that experiment worked out because a dozen years later, I mean, these researchers, they kept track of who did what and with the temptation and they kept track of what happened to the kids afterwards. And 12 years later, they found out that those kids who succumbed to their marshmallow desperation and had one, thereby ensuring they couldn't have two, that they scored on average 210 points less on the SAT than those who had some marshmallow discipline in their lives. I mean, that's like the difference between Harvard and Hofstra. You, you realize that? I, I hope nobody here went to Hofstra, but. Yeah, that's what, that's what it's like. God's discipline overcomes your desperation. Or maybe, maybe what I'm talking about is, is, is like the young man who, whose girlfriend was getting ready to have her 19th birthday. And so he wanted to get her some flowers for her birthday. And, he, and this is in the era before you could do it all online. And he went to the flower shop. And what he didn't know is if he should get her a dozen roses for her birthday or if she, he should buy her 19 roses for her birthday. You know, one for every year of her life. And he was explaining his dilemma to the woman behind the counter. Do I get her 12 or do I get her 19? And the woman behind the counter said, you know, son, right now she's your 19-year-old girlfriend but one day she's gonna be your 55-year-old wife. <laughs> and that young man got 12 roses. <laughs> and that's discipline. That's what it's like. God's discipline overcomes your desperation. Really, ultimately, what I'm talking about, and this is especially for you who are single, maybe you're a teenager, or maybe you're in college, or maybe you're just after college, you're single, or you're single again, you know the pain of regret, and if you're single, and you're single again, what I want you to do is I want you to make a list of what you would like in a mate. Make, make that list long, and, and comprehensive, and thorough, and you know, include things like loves Jesus, Amen is, is right. Financially healthy, L loves Jesus, good looking, at least, at least takes care of themselves a, a, a little bit. L loves Jesus, not a long talker, stable in other relationships, loves Jesus, has good breath, all, all those all those, could you imagine? All those things. Be comprehensive with that list. This is what I would like in a mate. And when you have that list, and when it's long, and when it's thorough, become that list. Make that list to become that list. 
Ask yourself, am I the kind of person I would want to marry one day? That, that's really what it's like, that you want to make that kind of list. You want to spend way less time looking for your, oh gosh, I'm just on this lifelong quest for my soulmate. No, you're not. You're on a lifelong quest to surrender your own soul fully and completely to the Lord Jesus. And you want him to make you and mold you and yeah, discipline you through the process of discipline. You, listen, listen, you, you're, you're not gonna be, ask God to start you on this journey. You make that list and you say, Lord, would you start me on this journey of becoming this kind of person? And don't expect it to happen instantaneously. None of you are microwaved into a, a strong living relationship with Jesus. We're all crock-potted there. God's discipline overcomes your desperation. Because really, here, here's what you need to know, is that marriage and romance does not solve a single problem. It only magnifies them. So many people tell me, oh, if I could only find somebody, then I'd be happy. If I had a love, then I'd be happy. If, if, then, 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 then. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. If, if you're looking for a mate to complete you, that's actually gonna finish you off. Because that's what marriage does. It doesn't solve problems, it magnifies problems that are already there. Listen, those of you who are married, I just talked to those of you who are single, those of you who are married, you do not have marriage problems. You're like, what? You haven't been to my house. I got all kinds of marriage problems. No, you have you problems. And your mate has mate problems. If you're a guy, you have you problems. Your wife, she has her problems. And what marriage does is you bring your problems, his problems, and her problems, and you bring them together in marriage, and you've got a collision of problems. Marriage does not solve those problems, it magnifies them. And the great thing, the great thing is just by you being here today and hearing these kind of truths and understanding what love is in the air is all about, is that you can then realize, ah, marriage isn't gonna fix me, Jesus fixes me. And God has put us in this kind of relationship that often magnifies stuff we, we already got going on in so many ways, not to make us desperation for a relationship, but to make us desperate for him. And when we're desperate for him and we realize marriage is less about being happy and more about, hello, being holy. And he puts us in this kind of prickly situation so that we will learn how to be forgiving and how to be unselfish and how to be loving. And that's God's great design for you and for me. God's discipline overcomes your desperation. And you and Elsie, I think you just gotta know is, is the, uh, the truth of, uh, of how when you understand marriage and romance, you understand that, that faith, real romance, strengthens faith. It doesn't sacrifice belief. And if I can really get quite practical here, this is again for singles and, and singles again. Sexually speaking, if saying no costs you a relationship, 
that means it wasn't a relationship worth saying yes to in the first place. And that you want to spend that time devoting yourself less to finding that right person and more becoming that right person and that the more you grow in your own living relationship with Jesus Christ, the, 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 the more that he's the goal of your life and it's all for your good, not a single bit of this is punishment. Every time I invite you to go deeper into your a living relationship with Jesus Christ, it's for your joy, it's for your goodness, it's for your favor. God is for you, God adores you and he wants your best. And when you commit to that, when you delight in that, well, you, you will find happening for you what I find happening with me in my car. Like, like I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I, a few months ago, I got myself a brand new used car. I got a pearl white Nissan Maxima. And the, and the thing is, now every time I'm out driving in the streets, I see Nissan Maximas everywhere. <laughs> White ones in particular everywhere. And, and is it because Maximas all of a sudden got so much more popular? Well, maybe. Is it because the city of Charlotte heard, hey, Talbot Davis is getting a Maxima? And if you want to be cool, you better get one for yourself? Probably. <laughs> Actually, what happens, like attracts like. I got my Maxima, I love my brand new used car. I see cars just like them, like it all over the place. Well, man, when a living relationship with Jesus Christ becomes goal number one in your life, you will find yourself noticing, you will find yourself being attracted to, and others be, like attracts like. A couple of questions I want you to ask yourself, and we're gonna throw these up on the screen so you can actually jot them down. These are really practical questions along the way to, to embracing God's discipline. And, and the first question, go ahead, if you could put the one, first one up there so we'll all know who it is. Am I becoming, if you're single, am I becoming the kind of person I'd wanna marry? I, I, I love that lyric says the, 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 that says the kind of guy you're looking for. That sounds like the kind of guy I wanna be. I, how would you feel taking you home to meet your parents? Second question. Do I derive my identity, those that this is for you who are married, do I derive my identity from my spouse or my savior? Listen, one of them will disappoint you. The other one never will. And third when has desperation blinded me from caution? When do I now see my path for what it really is, my motives for what they really are, and the consequences for what I'm really paying? And so wonderful to, to see this breakthrough. I mean, again, I've been, I've been telling you, this is good news. The fact that God's discipline the ways that he disciplines you, the way that he empowers you to be a disciplined person, it's for your good and it stems, stems from his love. And when it breaks through, it's such a good thing. Not long ago, I was in a couple's house and I, and I noticed that in the frame and the wall, their dining room, I believe, they had the Apostles' Creed. They put it in a frame. 
and put it up on the wall. I think we have a picture of it, yeah. And, and, and we said the Apostles, we declared the Apostles' Creed earlier today. And, and, and I knew enough about the couple and I was like, man, that is, that is so cool because this, this couple had discipline before and, and, and they have this in the middle. They, they, in their quietly assertive way, they wanted people to know who and what was at the center of what was becoming a beautiful marriage. And I, and I had to think that that discipline before and that center now is gonna lead to delight then. And I know I'm not making that story up about that couple with that Apostles' Creed up in their house because that couple is our daughter and her husband. God's discipline overcomes your desperation. Let's pray. So Father, thank you that you're good. Thank you for the ways that when we need discipline, you bring it. When we need empowerment to be disciplined, you provide it. And I ask that you would help all of us live into it in the strong and the saving name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen.